podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports, and brought to you all football season long by the good folks over at ThoriumWealth.com. Check them out online, ThoriumWealth.com, for more information and full disclosures. Our thanks to Thorium Wealth for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of the aforementioned CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Tuesday, October the 15th, as we record this. Uh, the, we had a scheduling... Um, I don't know. I don't want to call it a snafu because it's not really a snafu. But basically, we, we needed to record a day early, so we are. Uh, we are going to talk about... Um, I don't want to call it a disaster in Miami Gardens, but man, it was not good. Um, the game, losing Bryce Hall... The feeling of just dread that seems to be around the um, the fan base right now um, doesn't exactly extend to the players. They seem to be in pretty decent spirits, all things considered. Anyway, we're going to talk about all that as well as preview this weekend's matchup with Duke um, on Saturday afternoon. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody up in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Doing okay, Brad. I'm going to give my grandmother a shout out on the podcast. I know she's a big listener. She had a health scare this week. She's good to go, getting discharged tomorrow, so glad to hear it. So a little bit happier recording the podcast than I would have been otherwise. Who Dave's on the board, at Who Dave's on Twitter. Yeah, very glad to hear that. Um, up yeah. in Reston, Justin Ferber on the program as well. Ferber, did you have any family that got discharged? Do we need to shout out anybody? No, uh, but, I, but I do love my grandma, and shout out to my grandma. <laughs> All the time. Uh, she, doesn't have a, she doesn't have a clue what a podcast is or that I do one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this will just sit out into the ether. But, but she's uh, proud. She's proud. She's definitely proud. Um, yeah, I mean, she has no idea what I'm doing right now, but she's, she's definitely proud. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. You will not find my grandma on Twitter. I, I hope. This is not even for fun. I'm legitimately losing my mind over here. Gas quarter. Woo! Okay. Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and um, no no, uh, no grandmas. I don't have any of them left. Um, shout out to my grandma. I got to write. That's the, that's the episode title. Shout out. And now, speaking, speaking of uh, grandmas, let's talk about a Depression-era offense. Wow. <laughs> Woo, that was a stretch. All right, so it was not good. I mean, it was bad. It was pretty bad. Um, 17-9, six trips inside the 25 Nine whole points to show for him. None of them touchdowns. Um, I, I was I was breaking down um, the pro football focused grades for the defense, and you're looking at the amount the, the the tackling numbers and and everything, and you're just like, man, this is it's hard to think that they lost this game. And you think, oh, that's right, it was basically like two drives, right? And and clearly Miami had some success in this in the second half once Bryce Hall went out. Um, but I mean, this is all about the offense to me. I mean, I, I think that's pretty clear. In the days since then, I, I, I'll, I'll start the discussion. Um, I think I'm more frustrated now than I was that night. I, I think typically, and we've talked about this before, right, that a lot of us have these sort of emotional or knee-jerk sort of reactions the day of, and then after a little bit of time passes, everything's you know a little bit better. I, I haven't gotten there. Like I'm still extremely frustrated by what I saw. I'm, I'm not I, – I think that there's just too much potential for this offense to be doing what it's doing. And I understand – that the offensive line remains a work in progress. Um, I, I know that um, that there's a lot that goes into getting a group ready to play, um, and and if you don't have the pieces you need, that it can be extremely tough. What I see, and Dave, I'm going to kick it to you after this. What I see is an offense that too often is not willing to not. I don't even want to say take chances. I see an offense that uh, that that is that almost is confident that the chances that they could take will not work out, so therefore they don't try. And I think that is probably 
the worst thing uh, aside from just being bad at something the idea that you're not even going to try to be better and i and and that's not like a i don't mean to throw shots i'm not trying to you know to 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 be um I don't know, a jerk. I'm just saying like what I watch out there is a team that thinks that there's only a handful of things that it can do well and really refusing to get out of that box. When you watch Virginia's offense, what do you come away with and and what are the big pressure points, pain points for you? Uh, come away with indigestion. <laughs> it's, it's pretty <laughs> it's it's painful. I mean, look, and you I, definitely I'm don't come away ma- with a touchdown. No, not not very often. You might get a might get 3. Um I'm not as mad as I was at the end of the game after after rewatching because, look, it, there were a few questionable calls and, and a few calls I would have liked to have seen inserted in the game. Um, but there were also some, you know, Bryce missed a you few reads. You mean play calls, not... Yeah, play calls, yeah. Not, yeah. not, not official calls. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I think Bryce missed a few plays that were there. Um, and the offensive line... Missed a few plays, um, more than few. I'd say forty percent the way it looked. Uh, so th- it's tough, right? I mean, I'm, I know I've said on a previous podcast that it's hard to evaluate an offensive coordinator when the offensive line is as bad as ours has been, and they were bad again. Um, not, no consistency, and I think when you look at the mistakes Bryce made, it's because he doesn't trust the pocket. There's a couple of plays he could have stayed in the pocket longer, and he didn't. And you can't blame the guy; he's getting hit like forty percent of the time. He's back there, basically. Um, but because it's coming off the bye week, I think that's why I'm a little more than just disappointed because you've had two weeks to self scout. And the one thing we have seen from the staff is the last two years, I believe there were two and O and then three and O after the bye week, they've always made adjustments, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like I've said before, but offensively there's just not enough. And at this point, like the offensive line is what it is. Like those guys aren't going to get better overnight. It's going to take time. So you've got to adjust, whether it's going fob wide or if you're going to stay big like they did a lot of this game, I think you've got to you've got to make an effort to get your running backs more involved in the passing game so that when they're in the field, it's not a key that they know we're not running the ball. So when you bring your backs out, it's a key to the defense that you're passing and you got them in for protection. And at this point, they're not even worried about covering in the flats. You saw them running open in the flats often, but we don't. We had one reception by a running back for one yard. So there's just there's too much disconnect. Um, you know, what was a phrase we used a couple of years ago, like a series of sentences that don't make a paragraph, and that's what we're yeah. seeing again. Yeah. Um, and that's got to coming off a of bye week and seeing that is very disappointing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it was not good. Uh, the offensive line has to get better, but like, you've got to do something to help them out. If the defense knows you're going to be you're not rolling the quarterback ever. They'd rolled them once or twice and they had success on both plays. So you can't roll them every time, but you got to roll them enough where they keep them honest. I feel like we have to leave open the, the, the possibility, right? That the call that gets the, the play that gets called sometimes can be changed, right? So there are some tweaks and stuff. And so we don't, we can't know 100%, but I, but I feel pretty confident in saying that what I see Virginia calling or what I see Virginia putting on the field it either to to your point about the sentences and the um and the paragraphs like not only does it not seem to fit but the little bit that it does fit are very simple you know like kindergartner sort of quote unquote paragraphs right like like half of these are sight words they it, it, they're making things way too easy on the defense and i understand that this is an offense that in many ways is predicated on a bunch of packages and different personnel groupings and you know 
there there's all kinds of different ways that dudes line up. But like there was a third down where they had two running backs in the game. It was a third and long where they had two running backs in the game and then they split one of them out wide. Now, I, I realize I'm not an offensive coordinator and I, I don't I have not watched the film, right? I did not study Miami in, in, in copious detail. I did not, you know, look at the cut ups. Um, but unless there was a specific look that they thought Miami was susceptible to uh, with Wayne Tyler Papa running out as a, as a wide receiver, why not just line guys up that actually play receiver and challenge them? I, I think for me, my frustration Ferber comes from the fact that they're doing a whole lot to try to help the offensive line and it's not working anyway. So why not just spread them out and do what you did to Florida state? I understand that Florida state runs a little bit of a different system and you were able to, to, to use leverage there that you maybe don't have in a situation like this. The lack of a running game is, is clearly impacting things, but it just seems like with Bryce as well as other pieces around him on the offense, it just doesn't seem like uh, a lot of the route concepts are going to lead to success and that, you know, that going in, what do you, what's your general, uh, so, I mean, you, you kind of put it out there a little bit, but what's your, as, as you had some more time to, to let it breathe, what's your general t- sort of takeaway from it? Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway on Saturday morning, and this is before I rewatched anything, just right after the game, basically. My biggest takeaway with the offense, and it's something that I've thought all season, really, um, you know, in spots they've been pretty good, but they don't have an, an identity. And I know that's a cliche, but what, like, what is this offense's uh, primary strength, right? Uh, because even the things that they do better than other things, like short to intermediate passing is probably the best strength of the offense. Um, they're not elite at that. So, I mean, if you're not going to be good in other areas, you have to be really good at something. That's every, that's how every offense is. If you can't throw the ball, you better be really good at running it. And if you don't run the ball traditionally, you better be really good at like running quarterback runs or something, because you have to be able to have something to go back to when all the other stuff isn't working. And, Right now, I mean, like I said, I think it's the short to intermediate passing game, and that's kind of been a staple of Anai's offense throughout his time at UVA, and, and it's what we saw on tape at BYU. But it's not – like if you look at the yards, like uh, let me pull it up right now. I mean the yards per game, I forget what I said it was um, for UVA this year, but it's in the 200s, which is middle of the road. It's not terrible, but it's not something that you can – you know, if you just look at the total yards they get in a game, it's not many. And if you go back, all right, so now I'm looking at BYU 2015. So they ran a lot of the same stuff, but they were averaging six yards a play, four yards a rushing attempt, 33 points a game. Uh, they were good in the red zone. Passing yards, yeah, I mean, they threw for almost 4,000 passing yards and 26 touchdowns. UVA is not going to come anywhere close to that this year. So if you can't run the ball and your passing is mediocre and you're not going to do other things to creatively move the football, I don't understand what the primary focus of the offense is. And when you're mediocre at everything, defenses can just kind of play defense and and they're probably going to get a stop. And that's why the red zone problems are popping up because they don't – they get down there by the virtue of their goal on offense seems to be to beat teams by, you know, death by paper cut, which is seven yards at a time, six yards at a time, and then 40 seconds off the clock, 40 seconds off the clock. And then you get down to the red zone where everything's more compact and those short to intermediate throws aren't there and you can't run the ball and you can't protect the quarterback. So 
that that's what your problems are coming from. And it's just frustrating to, to see that they haven't really – maybe Bryce's uh, health is a bigger factor than we really thought it was because that seems to be a problem right now. I mean, I think that the key – what they need to do going forward is they need to figure out a way to just cut him loose because if you don't, you're going to risk losing this season by losing a bunch of games. So I think – I mean, he didn't have the brace on Friday. He looked a little bit better running the ball. Um, but you have to remember last year against Miami, they didn't have a lot of success running the ball or throwing the ball, uh, with Bryce or anybody. So I, I kind of want to see one more game and see if maybe they can get him going against Duke who has a decent defense, but not an elite one. Um, and, and maybe they can, you know, him running gives them some more options and opens things up for everybody else. But yeah, I mean, they have to figure out what they do well. And if that means cutting out some of the other stuff, so be it. But uh, and maybe take some more deep shots. They, they barely have any explosive plays, but that's kind of where they are right now. They're just a middling offense without an identity. It feels yeah, like- and I, I, think, I think one thing would be a little unfair not to mention is they've played two really good defenses in a row at a time the yeah, offense is struggling. That's true. Um, but they also so, didn't do anything against ODU. For yeah, and that's, that's the thing. That's the outlier. Is, is, was ODU a letdown game, or was that just a, you know, a harbinger of what we're seeing the last two games? And I don't, I don't think we will know until we get into the next few games. But if, if it is an offensive problem and it continues to, yeah, the season's not lost with the loss to Miami, as we said at the end of the podcast last week. Like, Virginia beats Duke and UNC, and they're still in control of the Coastal. But it's hard to see them beating a UNC team that's putting up points or being able to keep up with Louisville on the scoreboard. Um, so something's got to give. The, the defenses we're facing the next couple of weeks aren't as good as what we've seen the last two games. But I don't know that they have to be with – I mean, I, I don't want to say that the offense seems to lack confidence because we can't see that, but that's what it looks like. Um, and whether this offense is built around Bryce being explosive like he was last year, like he, he's not there right now. So whether it's putting in like the, the packages we had for Ben Kurt when the offensive line wasn't as good his first year where there's a lot of rollout stuff, whether that – those plays need to be reinserted and we become more of a passing team. Something's got to change because what's what we have now isn't working, especially in the red zone. The, uh, the thing I keep going back to, well, it's twofold. One is I, I tried to think through like, all right, let's say Brennan Armstrong was healthy. Let's say Brennan Armstrong was healthy and he was the quarterback, right? <clears throat> and, all of the other factors being exactly what they are. The offensive line being where, where it is, skill players being experienced and, and in depth exactly where it is. What would be different? What would they be doing, right, if Brendan Armstrong, is, a healthy Brendan Armstrong, was the quarterback? And the thing I came back to was, well, they'd probably be doing a lot of read option stuff, um, and they would probably, um, and they'd probably really lean on that, right? But what if the offense? What if that running just wasn't there? What what would be their ne- like? What would be their their next move? And the reason I, I thought about it like that, I think, is it goes back to Ferber's point about identity. Like, what what does the offense want to be when it is successful? I, and I don't just mean like, oh, call a play and they score. I mean like when it's actually working the way they design. Like, what do they think their strength is? Clearly, they think um, that Bryce is the key, but how does he unlock the door? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I see them use him in some ways that makes sense and then use him in other ways that just don't. And, um, you know, for example, um, you would think with a quarterback who has some speed and some elusiveness that you would want a lot of stuff 
like drop like dump down stuff flares to the running backs that when they're basically once a guy gets past them they should just you know go out and and turn right and there should be some some safety valves for him and that's the thing that is kind of frustrating me right now is like I don't watch this offense thinking, oh, look, there's there's the place he's supposed to go with the ball if if, if things are breaking down, right? There's none of that. And it, and everything seems to be – everything is an out, right? The very few times that they seem to, to use any sort of middle-of-the-field concept, whether it's a slant, whether it's a crossing route, it's always there. And, and, and that's not a function of, you know, oh, Bryce can't move through his progressions. It's that typically, like, he, that's just not – you know, that's not something they call. And I, my second point is, is that like, man, when I watch this offense and I see the skill guys around and I understand that there's on some level, you're, you're trying to protect your quarterback. You want to keep him healthy. So maybe you don't, maybe you're not trying to, um, you know, to leave him wide open, you know, a single, you know, whether it's single backer or an empty formation, you want some sort of blocker, but you've got several really talented skill position guys that are barely getting any burn, or at least they're barely getting any looks. Like, basically, it's Hasis Dubois and Joe Reed. Every once in a while, Ter- Terrell Giana pops up and, you know, burns white hot for, like, a possession, and that's it. it you know, like, use – I don't – I'm not saying you've got to use, you know, Kemp and Kelly or or um, um, Chapman or Brissett or, or Wicks, but, I mean, there are more options out there. And I just feel like if the Max Protect stuff isn't helping, move the pocket, use your quarterback with his legs, you know, that that pop play that they faked and came off of and then Bryce throws, you could be able to like basically turn that one play into like a package of like three or four plays that then you could you could utilize throughout an entire like possession or quarter. Right? You should be able to do stuff like that and and let it feed off itself. The fact that they don't do more with Bryce moving and throwing given what what that does for the offense it's kind of mind-boggling because uh, how many times are they going to run a dive how many times are they going to have him you know go back and and on a draw like it just it, it, it if if the three of us on a podcast and we've said this before right like if we understand it and we know what's coming the the the, the, the entire defensive staff who has several interns who do nothing but probably do cut-ups and stuff they know exactly what you're calling too um, and it's just it's frustrating because this offense should be but more should be better. I want to before we move on to to preview Duke. I want to at least have the conversation that is the elephant in the room among Virgi- some Virginia fans at least. Right, there are a handful of uh, of Virginia fans at least who who are adamant about this. Um, should we be having a conversation about changing roles or changing staff? I mean, is this do we think that it's risen to that level? Um, Dave, we'll start with you. Do you th- do you have a do you have a, a a desire to have a conversation about you know changes in the offensive play calling or, or anything like that? Do you think that's the answer at this point? I mean, look, I'm personally not ready to to call for anyone's job there. Um, I think having the conversation, given you know not just this year's results but the last couple years' results in the red zone, um, especially, it, it, it's it's perfectly fair to have that conversation if you want to. Um, like, I. I whether it's time to actually do it, I think it's a little premature, and I don't know what it gets you because you can't replace that offensive. You know, you, you can you, you can bring up Beck or Hagens or whoever to to call plays for the year, but we really don't know how involved they are in the game planning at this point. So we're just assuming it couldn't be worse than what we have right now, but we don't know that. Um, 
so but and also we're four and two and, and have a chance so look I, i'm willing to give give dr bob a little a little rope here to to figure it out but that rope's a lot shorter than it was you know six weeks ago yeah I think if the team is four and two, but you can make an argument that one of those wins was was because of some offensive, you know, um, um, execution in the second half. Florida State. One of those wins at Pitt was. I don't. I mean, look, you might want to chalk that one up to just it being, you know, August, right? Um, well, yeah. I mean, you also had in that game they scored thirty points, but it's a little misleading because all three touchdown drives were like thirty yards 30 or less. Yards, yep. And then the last, but that's one, usually when we can't. I score. don't even think Pitt was trying to stop him on the last one. It was just kind of like the end of the game. But yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. You can't take it away from him. Oh my god, you can't take it away from him. But uh, sorry, I'm I'm distracted watching baseball right now. Um, not that this podcast doesn't have my full attention. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think that. It's tough. As far as like your big question, I think I don't think firing anybody or anything like that drastic in the middle of the season A is going to happen, so we don't have to talk about it. B is really going to do anything to help. If, if they want to change who does what or who has different roles in the game plan, that's a different conversation. Um, and I think that if you don't see offensive improvement between now and the Virginia Tech game, then I think changing offensive coordinators is probably at least uh, something that needs to be discussed, at worst something that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, because the whole, oh, it's this is all part of a rebuild. No, like that, we're past that. This is year four. The expectations this year were to win the Coastal Division, according to the outside anyway. And, you know, everything that they said. And I'm not saying if you don't win the Coastal, the season's a complete failure. But it's one of those things where it's like the excuse of like, oh, we're still figuring things out. That's over. Like we're past that. The standard is the standard. It's not new anymore. That's right. We've been told. Yeah. I think, I think that the, that, that is a small like footnote, but it, it, it does imply like a sort of larger context to me. Right. It, that if, and I'm not saying like the coaches sat around and really talked about the social media policy, but they made a to do about it in some ways. And I, but, but the bigger picture to me is like, listen, I'm not saying it, that I mean, I certainly don't think that that you that this is the time to make that change. But I do think that um, Bronco Mendenhall has, <laughs> I mean, he's he's made that change before, right? With with you know, we can call it. Uh, I don't know how how do we want to refer to the results from that decision? I mean, ultimately, you know, and I came back, um, and they. But I mean, he had success throughout his his tenure as the head coach of BYU. I guess the way I would frame it is like this. Bronco sounded to me Monday in a very different place than he sounded to me after the game Friday, right? I, I, I texted you guys this as I was kind of breaking down the audio from the post-game press conference so I could use in my column. I was kind of blown away by the way – not necessarily it – wasn't, it, it wasn't necessarily what he said. It was like the lack of urgency that there seemed to be, and yet by Monday it was clearly there. And I'm, I, I'm reading some tea leaves here. But it just feels like to me that that thing is, is shifted a little bit. And I and what I mean by that is not that, like, oh, there's going to be a change. What I mean by that is that Bronco has been very, you know, vocal about his role now as kind of overseeing things. And it just feels like he's going to be more involved. And I'm not sure what to make of that in terms of X's and O's. But I, I do think that there could be um, – there could be maybe some some more chances taken or, or maybe less conservative um, aspects of whether it's play calling or play design 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's going to, you know, they're not going to call me and say, Hey, Brad, do you want to run the offense? I'm, I, I get that. I think we can have a nuanced discussion about it from the standpoint of like, this is the thing that has grown among fans. And I understand too, that like fans hate coordinators. Like typically any team that is not having a ton of success, they, they hate their coordinator, right? Like a coordinator is very, is very rarely ever liked, right? Now, if you're having, you know, if you're, you know, um, I'm trying to think of coordinators that are really good right now. But like, if your team is having a, a ton of success, yeah, you really like that dude. But otherwise, not not really. Like, that's the way it goes. Um, but I think it's worth discussing because there clearly are a, a number of fans who have seen enough. And I would say that what I have seen from offenses over the year, the last few years, has been at times um, they at times they felt like they were going in the right direction. This one seems to have leveled out in a way that doesn't make sense to me. There, there's too much talent on this offense. You know, if 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 they didn't have Bryce Perkins or they didn't have, you know, Joe Reed, okay, maybe it's a different thing. I understand they lost Alameda. I understand you had some pieces on the offensive line you had to replace, and I know a lot of the linemen have been banged up. But it just seems like the decisions that are being made during the week, whether it's where guys are playing, because, I mean, that whole change right before the season doesn't make any sense to me in hindsight, Right. They're finally getting to a place where like multiple offensive linemen are playing every snap in the game at the specific spot that they play. But like that whole change at the beginning of the season, why did they do that? Like I don't see like maybe you thought, oh, this will be our best bet. Well, then it didn't work. Why have they not gone back to the way it was it was beforehand? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff makes yeah. me wonder what what's behind some of the decisions we're seeing that not necessarily in the game and the play con, but like during the week. Like what what's what's changing there or has changed? Yeah. Yeah, my, my concern is in, uh, if this was a defensive issue, we would see change. Whether it's Bronco taking back play calling or changing assignments on who's over what, like you would see a change a lot quicker. And we have seen, I do feel like if you go back and look when the Bron- defense has struggled, like Bronco is a lot quicker to react and to be more demanding of improvement right away. I feel like the offense gets a little more latitude, if not a lot more latitude. Because um, we haven't seen any change, and whether it's, you know, you know, removing Robert and I to, to offensive line coach, even though he's involved now, like something small like that, like I, I do feel like the offense has a lot more leeway than the defense gets. So there's no excuses with the defense, and the offense seems to always have them. And I think too, like, again, we we all know that like what the outside puts on the program, the program is not really like they, they didn't, they didn't say like this and that, but what they did say is like their, their goal is to win the coastal, right? They, the, a couple of guys affirmed it yesterday, right? Uh, win the coastal beat tech, go to a bowl game and win it. Right. As it is currently constructed, they're at four and two, two and one, same record they were last year after the win over Miami. The similarities between those two games in terms of Virginia's offensive issues are somewhat interesting, but, Ultimately, it's about what I'm talking about is the, the rest of the season. They might come out there Saturday and hit a little bit of an extra gear. Maybe there's some tweaks to this and that, and they're fine. And that's that would be great. Trust me, as a dude with a message board, would love that. But I think the bigger picture is is that like this is year two with Bryce Perkins, a, a, a kind of dude you don't get a lot of, right? Like a kid who is really talented in, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And that's no disrespect to Brendan Armstrong or any other quarterback in the in the pipeline. I'm just saying, like, you, you, you're not even close to where he was as a junior. And I understand there's some things that are different. But realistically, like, you should be able to be doing more than what you have. 
And coaches in and of themselves are historically an insulated sort of um, group, right? Like uh, even when it's good, they can sometimes can get a little bit, um, you know, circle the wagons, right? So when it's bad, that's especially the way it is. Today's point about Bronco, like, yeah, if the defense was struggling, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind Bronco would take that thing over in a heartbeat. Um, even if he does like to trust his assistants to, to do their thing. So the question then is, what sort of changes can Bronco impart? Like, where, where does, where does the, the needle get moved? Because, I mean, I don't think Bronco's going to grab the headset and start calling plays, but I do think he can, he can do something. Ferber, when you think about Bronco being more involved in this, where do you, how do you see that? What does it look like to you? Yeah, I, rem- I mentioned remember the Titans last week, but this is like uh, Coach Yost, and you just worry about your defense, Coach. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, he, he's always said that, you know, these last couple years he's been more involved in the in the offense or, like, he wanted to take more of a CEO sort of role. Look, I mean, they got a lot of smart guys on the staff. I don't think that the problem is something where it's like, hey, one more guy gets input and this thing's fixed. You know, if they're not listening to each other at this point, then it's not going to work anyway. But I don't think that's the problem. Uh, I think it's just, you know, I think the biggest problem is just like a philosophical identity of the offense is, and nobody would ever say this, and nobody, I don't think anybody thinks this way on purpose, but it's almost like the way that they view the offense is like get out of the like don't get in the way of the defense. And I know you score points on offense, but do you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of like they want them to do as little self-inflicted damage as possible. So their plan is we're going to eat up as much of the clock as we can, which is, you know, what teams do a lot of times in football when they're just trying to get through the game. Um we're going to eat up as much of the clock as we can, and however many points we score is what we're going to have to live on. And I think – I don't want to let this go unstated. The defense – it is crazy. I went back and rewatched the game yesterday, and it is pretty crazy how UVA was in the game throughout with three <laughs> points at halftime. Right. Yeah. Almost, almost didn't have three at halftime. Uh, three points into the fourth quarter – uh, nine points at the very end, they're still in the game. And, and you kind of watch it, and you're like, man, they had so many chances to get this right because the defense just kept giving them the ball back. And I think, like, the offense's role right now is just, you know, they, they, they came in and they wanted to be hurry up, tempo, go as fast as possible. That didn't work, and I think switching to a slower pace then made sense. And I'm not saying tempo fixes all your problems now, but it just feels like the the – the identity or the purpose of the offense is just to like eat up as much of the clock as possible and hopefully score. <laughs> like, whereas other teams you, and that's, what's frustrating is Saturday I turn on other games and it's teams just scoring at will because college football isn't like the NFL where, you know, everybody kind of runs the same stuff. The teams are making it look really, really easy, you know? And, and I'm not saying it's going to be like that for everybody or it's going to be like that for UVA, but you can score points without having like a team full like Alabama or Clemson talent. Um, that's design and, and coaching and preparation more than execution, I think. Because Washington State isn't exactly pulling in five-star recruits, and they're putting up tons of points every game because they have a good scheme. It's easy for the players to run, and they're able to, on Saturdays, just go out and execute it. And right now, UVA is not in that place. So whoever has to get involved to make things better. And, and honestly, I... If they can fix the red zone specifically, I think 
a lot of the problems would be solved because if you look at how they did between the 20s in that game, they didn't have a ton of yards, but they had a lot of possessions that if you go back and watch it, you're like, man, how did they not score a touchdown on this drive? How did they not get six on this drive? Um, if they got six on two of those drives, even like a mediocre performance in the red zone, they would have been potential, probably winning the game. I want to, I want to drill it. I mean, we, we need to switch over to, to, to Duke in a second, but, um, I want to drill into something you just said about like that the offensive job is to kind of get out of the way. Doesn't that kind of sound familiar to you? Like, I'm not saying that Virginia basketball was ever in a spot where the offense didn't matter, but it sort of got to the point where like, you know what, we're, we're going to do X, Y, and Z so that the defense doesn't suffer. And that's not to say that that was ever wrong, but that's not the way they want a championship, right? Like they want a championship because their offensive guys also played good defense. Um, it's a yeah. different sport, obviously, and, and, and therefore there's some, some differences that just don't line up. But it just was funny as Ferber's talking. I'm like, oh, I've kind of seen that before. The bottom line to me, though, is the same, which is there is more talent on that roster than is being shown on the field. The coaches get paid money to make sure that that doesn't happen. right? They, they get paid money to not just win games, but to have you know guys executing at a high level to get them prepared. No doubt in my mind that if it was a defensive thing, I mean, we've seen Bronco come to a press conference on Monday, say X, and then by that weekend, the thing, it, it's addressed. So I, I'm not really sure how you, you fix what is ailing the offense because I, I do think that it's – I do wonder if it's systemic. I do wonder if, if it's just a little bit larger than like, oh, let's move Bryce around. Um, but I do think that there has to be some movement in that direction, even if they don't execute it. Like I would just like to see them call the thing. Right. Like I'm, I'm at yeah. that point now where Dave mentioned like or I forget who mentioned it. The idea that like they wanted to they wanted to go fast. Try that. Like do any like do something, you know, give me something. Dave, go finish this up. Yeah, and I mean, go to our break. I'm, I'm a little to- I'm a little torn because, look, the complimentary football aspect is big, especially look, our defense is good, but they're not deep. Right. So you don't want them on the field a long time. And now with the injuries we'll talk about in a minute, like they're not they're even less deep. So you've got to have an offense that's going to eat some clock because you don't have the talent of some of the teams in, in college football. Now, like Washington State's offense, yeah, they're fun, but their defense is terrible. I mean, that's why they lose. So there's a trade-off when you score that fast. But there's concepts there, right? Um, so I, I feel the need. I do feel like Perkins this week, maybe if he hadn't turned it over 25 times at Notre Dame, he would have taken a couple shots he didn't take against Miami that might have – because there was one – shot in particular on that last drive right yeah where i think he had to buy open and he kind of ate it and took the sack that he yeah. almost fumbled um i think that was last week's price in the back of his head but overall like virginia didn't get a lot of yards virginia had 326 yards against miami virginia tech in a 42 35 win had 337 so miami doesn't give up a lot of yards so virginia didn't enough between the hash between the 20s they've got to figure out how to convert inside the the red zone and I, I think you can do that without hurting your defense or even like like i said before with the explosion like score before you get there so yeah, you don't have to play there. in exactly. the red zone i mean yeah. that's what a lot of teams do score yeah. on a 40 yard touchdown you got a bunch of and that's that's honestly i mean i know we got to move on but that's honestly probably the most frustrating thing about me or about this offense to me is that uh, for one let's just say hasis dubois and joe reed are no, no disrespect to Bryce Perkins, but they're basically carrying this offense. Like, they make so many contested catches on these plays that are just like thrown up for grabs, third and sixes in the middle of the field, and that's just not how good offenses work. Like, you don't see, you know, people throwing back shoulder fades at the fifty. <laughs> like, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's what they're doing. They're just throwing it like because people aren't open. So you have to win these contested routes. And luckily for UVA, they've been winning them. But my biggest indictment of this offense is this is probably and, and you guys have probably more of a background than I do on, you know, the good George Welsh teams. But as far back as I can remember through the London years to the end of the grow years, this is the most skill talent you've had at wide receiver. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not just talent, but pure speed. And they can't find ways to get people the ball in space, right? And that's the biggest thing. Since the thing. early 90s, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the biggest thing to me. You got guys, and I know that they're young players, and they're not – I'm not expecting Tyreek Hill-type production from Tavares Kelly and Billy Kemp. But those guys should be – you should be able to get them the ball. Like, yeah, that's my thing. Is it like how – like you should yeah. be able to get these dudes ball the ball in space. Like They literally really have, between the two of them, 20 catches this year. That's just crazy to me. And, I mean, like, even little stuff like jet sweeps, right? Like, just give the defense something to chew on instead of just lining up and running the same – you know what I mean? Like, uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get – Yeah, I mean, just my last thing, like, the offensive line is the issue. And yeah. like, you're not going to fix it. Um, you look at the NFL, like, Atlanta Falcons have two great receivers. They can't get them the ball because they can't block. You got to you got to block for the big guys to get the ball downfield. So. Yeah, and but, that's what I wrote about last week. I said, at this point – like after the Miami game, it's clear that they're not going to be able to fix it. So you have to scheme around it. Yeah. Like that's that's how you have to do it. And that means roll out, get Bryce running, yeah. whatever you have to do. Indeed. Cats Corner Podcast brought to you this week by the good folks over at Second String Sports and Stewart's Draft. Second String Sports has all the 2020 gear from Louisville Slugger, DeMarini, Wilson, Easton, Evo Shield, as well as quality used gear. So if you play baseball, softball, soccer, or football, you can find the gear you need at Second String Sports and Stewart's Draft. If you have something from last season that you aren't using anymore, you can bring it to Second String for a credit towards your next purchase. And if you're looking to purchase a new bat but not sure which one to get, Second String will let you try the new bats in their demo zone and talk to you about the best bat for your swing. Second String Sports has a large collection of Wilson A2000s as well as A2K gloves and is a Wilson Glove of the Month retailer. You can check out what Second String has to offer at their store just outside Waynesboro, 2627 Stewart's Draft Highway. Or you can go to their website right now, secondstringsports.com. That's second with a two. First string quality, second first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to Second String for their support of this show and all of CatsCorner.com. One of these days, I will get that ad read right. All right, so Duke comes to town Saturday afternoon, 3.30, ACC Network. Um, really interesting matchup in a variety of ways if you think about it because the, the Cavaliers are um, in a spot where I think they, um, they – they should match up with Duke, and I and I'm in a spot where I don't know what to expect from the offense, so I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how to pick this thing, and quite frankly, I've gone back and forth on it like three times since we first started talking. But like you and me both, it's an interesting matchup because if you look at what Duke does, Duke kind of does offensively what I think Virginia would like to do, right? And defensively, I, I'm not. I, I don't watch Duke and think, man, they're they're really stout, but they're I, I think they're solid. And so this is not like last week where it was like, all right, which offensive line is going to limit is going to allow the fewest amount of uh, of sacks, right? That's not what this is. Duke is a well-coached team with a talented quarterback who can hurt you in a variety of ways. Noah Taylor, I think, said it best that basically because of their their heavy use of RPO and because of his skill set, that like Noah's not going to be able to do everything he normally does because it's going to give him pause. Heard him say that, and I thought, man, wouldn't you love for an opposing defense to think that about Virginia? But anyway, uh, Dave, let's start with you. As you have looked at this game, what stands out to you about Duke, and what's your general sort of feel going into this one? 
um, confusion is my feel. <laughs> Look, I, I think this Duke team is better than the ones we've seen with with NFL star Daniel Jones. Um, just because, I, yeah, I think Harris gives him a little Danny more. Danny Dimes. <laughs> yeah, Danny Dimes. I just think they're a little more multiple this year. Um, and, yeah, I just think they're t- they look tougher on offense, if, if that makes sense. Like, they're just more of a bruising team. And, you know, even though Virginia's defense has gotten better, they still struggle against teams that, are, that want to try to punch you in the mouth. Um, luckily, like Miami was running the ball well against Virginia and just abandoned it, you know, uh, last Friday. So uh, I'm worried about how we, we stop their offense. But, you know, it, I'm, not su- I'm not as worried as I was, like, stopping Notre Dame, right? Um, they're good. I mean, defensively, I think they're above average. I don't know that they're much better than they were last year defensively. Um, but they're a challenge. We're going to have to, you know, against our offense, you know. <laughs> it'll, it'll be the worst defense our offense has faced in the last two games, last three games. So that's good. But can they do anything against it? So it, it's a tough game. I'm glad it's at home because I, you know, I think that's one thing maybe we don't consider enough the last two games is, Virginia hasn't shown they can win on the road consistently, and they've just played two road games. So they've been much better at home, um, and they've had success against Duke. So, right. look, I'm worried about it, but, look, I haven't lost faith in the staff. Like I feel like some fans have after a loss to Notre Dame and Miami. Um, but, you know, I haven't. So, yeah, I expect to see some improvement, even even without, you know, with, with the without Bryce on, on defense, like, I think we'll figure it out and we will make some plays and get it done at home. I don't know how confident I would feel this was on the road though. Right. We should, uh, we, we, we got so enamored with the offense that we didn't talk about the loss of Bryce Hall. <laughs> I mean, enamored, enamored, um, enamored with the, uh, I was just trying not to talk about it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge storyline, especially because of Bryce's, you know, not just, you know, he's an all American senior captain, but he's also, He's had a lot of success against Duke. Now, I'm not sure how much that transfers since Danny Dimes uh, is no longer um, patrolling the uh, the interceptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's no longer handing out interceptions in Durham. But man, like, I, I mean, we're not. I'm not even. We're not going to have a, a an in depth discussion about whether starters should play on special teams because I think that's if you if you really think that that like in hindsight was a problem. I'm, I'm I really I feel sorry for you. Um, but. What can you say about Bryce Hall? I mean, I've never seen a dude who had an injury where they had to throw a towel on it before like that. And then he's the one like he looked. I I said this to somebody this week. He looked after that injury like he had just gotten like a B plus on a paper and they had given him some extra work so he could bump that thing up to an A. Like he just looked so calm and confident, and he was cool with it, and he was gonna, you know, it was gonna be fine. Yeah, like I got this. It was and, one of those things where it was kind of messed up though, because it was like you, he was so calm and resolute about it that you knew he knew that it was bad. Right. You know what I mean? True. Like it was like, yeah, I know, I'll be fine. Like, <laughs> but it was kind of like, damn, that's probably you know it for him. Um, I feel like we should. I want to. I want to talk about his loss, the loss of him on the field in the context of Duke because, you know, he has had a lot of success against the Blue Devils. Going without him means Devontae Cross moves over to corner. They're going to plug Chris Moore in at safety, who, you know, spoiler alert for the folks who haven't seen the pro football focus grades, but he, he had the best grade of, of the defense on Saturday, or excuse me, Friday night. Um, and it was pretty solid in coverage. I, I feel like 
there's there's two aspects to this, right? So there's the part where you have to go without him on the field, and then there's the part of the, the – there's just the emotional weight of it, right? So the offense doesn't score a touchdown, and you lose arguably the best defensive player on the team. I mean, that's a heck of a, of a, of a one-two punch. As – in terms of like how you replace him, you you can't you're not going to get the same production, and teams are going to attack attack you differently now, right? So so, I'm curious to see how much they're able to play as loose and as fast up front as they have. I, I don't know if they have much choice, but I'm curious to see if they have the same sort of results. the the one The one interesting wrinkle here is that yeah, you lost an All American, but I mean, he in terms of in terms of like the numbers and stuff you can you could make an argument that he had not yet had like his all-american type of impact right like i know off the field in terms of who he is and how he impacts things but like on the field you know he had given up some receptions he his coverage grades weren't quite where they were last year so it's not like um you know it's not like you're you're losing your 40 point score right he 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 locked down the boundary and that's not that's not a, a thing to sneeze at, but it, it's worth it's worth at least we're going to have a conversation about replacing him to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, there have been moments where he was he was not just he was the best player, you know, on the defense. And then other moments where, you know, he was just one of, you know, several good players, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Brad's views do not represent all of us on Cavs Corner. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm no, just saying, uh, like, if you look at the numbers, no, right? Yeah, yeah like, if you look at the numbers, yeah, but y- you can't. Like, uh, that's like saying when, when Kyle Guy only scored 12 because he was getting double teamed off three. Okay, but like, we're talking yeah, about through five yeah. games, though. I know. Like, like, I mean, look, he hasn't had the numbers he had last year, but he just, because he's he is who he is and as good as he is, like, the thing you're going to see this week, like, people are going to be concentrating on how many times Cross gets picked on because it happened in that last drive there that Miami scored on. Um, but it's not just that. It, the bigger issue is now you can't roll that safety that would normally give corner help. Like, you know, the safety's been free to go do what they want because Bryce Hall was at least going to keep the guy in front of him even if he gave up a reception. So you could go single on that side. So you're going to lose that versatility with the defense, which means we're probably going to see more short completions over the middle that we, than we've seen the previous, you know, the first, the start of the season. So I think that's the greater impact. Cause I do think cross is, is serviceable and he's shown he's a good athlete. And I've joked before about Nick Howell's kind of like Tony Bennett with point guards. Well, now he just lost Todd Jerome and he's replacing him with, you know, a lesser player. But the bigger issue for me is not just the guy who replaces them. It's like now the guys behind him are even, you know, with, with Heskin and um, Bratton and, and now Bryce Hall out. Now you get dinged up, and we've seen it in games where you lose two or three players on a drive, especially with a team that runs the ball like Duke. Now you've got Fentrell Cypress or, you know, Antonio Clary coming in at safety. Like, that's the bigger thing, like, on the field. Um, it, it's not just replacing Bryce. It, it's the depth you lose behind them. But because you can't replace that guy, like, you're right. His numbers weren't as good this year as they were last year, but it's it's because like yeah. he was more single coverage. I, this year. I would just like to state for the record that in 2017, he had a cumulative coverage grade in the 80s, and last year he had a cumulative coverage grade in the 90s, and this year he had a cumulative coverage grade in the 60s. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm not. Like said, I'm not talking about the Juan Thornhill effect. Well, that, that <laughs> I think there's there's some truth to that. I'm just saying that in terms of I I I'm, look, I'm not trying to argue like oh it's all good. Like that's not my point. My point yeah. Why is, are you trying to make this good, Brad? <sighs> my point. <sighs> Don't be positive. No, no, I'm not tr- even trying to be positive. I'm trying to be yeah, literal. I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like 
it, I think Nick Grant has really been a like a, a bright spot. Yeah, I, I mean, would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, he had a kind of a bad tackling night the other night because he missed that big one that ended up being that long pass play. But I mean, he's been he's held his own, I would say, and now he's really going to get tested. But um, this is actually maybe a good week to break him in because Duke doesn't have like a ton of electric receivers. Right. No, no, no offense to their guys, but it's not like playing some of the other teams that they have on the schedule. Yeah, they basically have the same coverage grade between the two of them for the season. Again, and I'm not one – look, and I also understand, like, pro football focus is a resource, but it's not like the end-all, be-all. They're not like Jesus, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's oh, yeah. one resource. I, I think the bigger thing for me as I'm going into this game is it's it's more so the loss is not just about, you know, the, the coverage aspect. It's the experience aspect, right? So now you're asking – I mean, look, at this point, Devontae Cross must be just used to just having to go play some random spot, right? Like, how many – I don't think I've ever seen a player move around as much as this kid has had to move in his career. I mean, other than like – Biscuit, maybe. No, I don't <laughs> – no, no, no. But, but Biscuit never played defense, right? Like he, Yeah, he, Vic Hall would probably be I mean, one. think about it. He, yeah. he was a quarterback. He was a wide receiver. He's been a corner and a safety. Like, that's a crazy amount of stuff. Now – his experience in the defense, and he's, he has started every game this year, um, his experience in the defense should help him as he makes his transition over. And the fact that they immediately went there, like that was their like contingency plan. Who's our third best cornerback? It's Devontae, right? Um, that says a lot about yeah, him. Yeah, because I didn't know who was going to go in when yeah. he came out. Yeah, I was like, who's going to come in at cornerback? You know what's really messed up is like I remember I wrote something in the three two one because of uh, Sean Smith getting hurt. And I wrote something about, you know, well, you know, who's who's backing up Bryce? Well, it's going to be Central Cypress. And and I remember writing it and I thought about it in a moment. I was like, man, I totally jinxed the poor kid. Right. But then like I then when it wasn't Cypress and it was Cross. And I mean, that may I guess in hindsight, that makes more sense. Right. But at the same time, like it's a man, those are two different positions. Like I understand they're both in the secondary, but they feel, you know. And I mean, I've been on the record saying I think he's more of like an in the box, almost a linebacker safety than a than like a free safety. So, I I mean, we'll see. He's played corner before, but I think it's going to be a challenge. He's probably going to he's probably going to make some mistakes. But I mean, that's that's part of it. Your safeties have to pick you up in the preseason. Dave, you had Virginia. Uh, I believe, if my stupid writing here, forty-two twenty-four. Uh, my guess is is that's a little high for a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fifty. Uh, I don't. Seventy-five percent, I think, is what that says. Seventy-five yeah. percent chance to win. What's your What's your feeling right now? And give me your headline. Um, I think Virginia's going to pull this one out because I think the defense is going to show up, rally around Bryce, who's, who's going to be on the sideline most likely on a crutch, but. Um, like they're at home. I don't know. I, I'm gonna go. It's gonna be tight. Like it's gonna be a a heartburn Saturday. So I'll say 17-14 Virginia. In a <laughs> I don't know what the headline will be. Like check on the guy in section 116. He may have passed out. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, Virginia does enough to get the win. I don't expect some offensive show, but. I do expect Virginia to win this thing. It's going to either be like super tight like that, or it's going to be like crazy. And we're all going to be like, why, yeah. were, we, why were we all worried about the offense? Furman, Let's hope it's the latter. In the preseason had it 34-17, 75% chance of uh, Virginia victory. Uh, you don't typically like to change yours. Um, something tells me you're going to change that one. What's your feeling? Yeah. Well, Duke is definitely better than I uh, thought they were, which I feel like applies to almost every team in the Coastal. Um 
except for Georgia Tech, they're exactly what I thought they were. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that Duke does the kinds of things that worry me because, you know, they don't have an electric passing game, but it's it's not a completely one-dimensional offense. And their running game is the type of running game that can really wear you down. Like, you know, especially if you're not scheme sound and, and you're missing assignments. It's the type of team where you're like, man, this they just ran the ball seven times in a row for 80 yards um, and took, you know, eight minutes off the clock or something crazy. Uh, I think that I like UVA to win the game. My confidence is not super high because, one, the offense. Two, you know, you cannot replace a Gary Bertier. Um, I mean, Bryce Hall. Um <laughs> I could not do that. Uh, I was going to do it. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that it's going to be an interesting test. My one thing with Duke, I just said I thought they were – they're better than I thought they would be in the preseason. I thought they'd be like a 4-8 and team. They've already won four or five games. Um, I'm not sure how good they are relative to the rest of the teams, and I'm not sure how good they are relative to this Virginia team, which I still think is pretty good just because of the defense. And – they have players on offense, so if they can get it together, they can they can do some stuff. I think UVA wins a pretty close game. I think it ends up somewhere in like the 24-17 range. Um, I think the defense uh, – one thing that we haven't really talked about with the defense is they haven't been creating a ton of turnovers. Um, if they could do that, that would be a huge help to the offense because, I mean, they need all the good field position drives they can get. I think UVA creates a turnover or two in this game and uh, and win at home. Uh if Duke could if Duke could handle Pitt or look decent in that game, I might pick Duke. But I watched a lot of that game and that was very very sloppy. Um, and I think UVA's defense is at least on par with Pitt's, if not better. Um, so I think UVA's defense can give them some problems. You know what? Which so wait, what's your headline? What's your what's your headline? Um, I'll say UV, I guess just like a broad UVA gets back on track. Bryce Perkins has a pretty nice game. Bryce Perkins has a good running game for the first time probably all year. Yeah, that's, uh, not, that's not a bad idea. I think that's what I'll go with. So would you believe that Pittsburgh currently, in terms of the overall rank or rating, has a higher – its defense has a higher rating than Clemson's? They're, it's 90.7 to 90.5. Yeah, I mean, the reason is, I mean, they played, they played Pitt – or uh, they played Penn State really tough. And that that helps. Um, and then obviously they, I mean, they played pretty well in their other games. And if you, I mean, again, if you look at what they did against UVA, I don't think UVA turned the ball over in that game. But I mean, the only reason it was where it was is because the offense kept giving UVA good field position, and they had that one punt block. Yeah. The uh, the one thing about um, that pit game with for Duke is, I mean, that pit offense not really blowing me away either, and that pit offense. I mean, as a team, they scored 33. Yeah, um, a lot of that was like turnovers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why I, I just think that Virginia's going to have to turn uh, Duke over a couple times. Um, we, we've talked a lot in the past about margin for error and how, you know, when when it's thin like this, you know, it's it really is a couple plays can make you look dramatically different. Um, I, I, I had this game in the preseason. I had um, Virginia uh, winning it uh, 37 to 20, if I'm oh, – man, 37 to 20. 80% chance. I'm definitely not sticking with that. I feel like Virginia can score better in this game, in part because Duke's defense is not as good as the past two. And I wonder if some of us, myself included, I'll, I'll throw myself in this, um, are trying to judge as if every game is going to be, you know, against a defense like Notre Dame's or like Miami's. Um, that being said, like, I'm going to kind of need them to score some points before I can believe that it's fixed. And even if it's one game, it might not be fixed. There just might be blips. 
Um, I, I just I have a hard time though thinking that Duke's defense can be what those other defenses were. Um, the trick though is that I also I'm not really sure what to do with with UVA's defense. Um, so much of what they do is predicated on havoc, and what Duke's offense seems designed to do is to one make that not necessarily a thing, and then at the same time the loss of Bryce Hall, how that changes things. It's it's a sticky wicket for me, man. Um, it's almost like the the thing that I feel like I should be able to depend on Virginia's defense is the thing that I'm questioning. And the thing that I should be questioning, Virginia's offense, is the thing I, I, I like instinctually want to depend on. It feels like this is going to uh, be a get-right game for them. But the question is, in what way? I think the Cavaliers win it. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be like 21-18. Somewhere in that ballpark feels about um, right to me. I, I do think Perkins and running, they've got to do, they've got to do more to get him loose. Now, whether that's you know loose for design runs or even just – putting more receivers on the field to take defenders away from, you know, than the box. I mean, I, they've got to, they've just got to, whatever it takes, whether it's just rolling the pocket or what, they got to get him, they got to get him on the ground, um, get him some, some burn. I just, I, I'm just worried about what the defense will look like given the changes um, that they're having to undergo and the short amount of time. Uh, I mean, the turnover thing is, is very real. They're, 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 they're really good at, Getting to the quarterback, the question is whether or not they can, you know, separate him from the ball. And Quentin Harris is a really talented kid who can, you know, can scoot out of um, some pressure. And the question I have then is, you know, are they able to to do what to him what a lot of teams have done to Bryce? Um, I think it's a fascinating matchup and one I'm eager to see. It's it, I think they also playing at home is a is a big positive for them too. Um, anyway. Um, I feel like I feel like LeBron on the whole China thing. I want to go back and, and edit what I said about Bryce. I don't mean nope, that as nope, don't touch that no, Brad. Don't you, touch that one. No, I just don't. I I, I, I hope I came across correctly. You're gonna lose that second string sports money, uh, right? Um, <laughs> I, I I hope I came across right. I mean, the kid is he's. I mean, I think he's arguably the best no, cornerback to play yeah. at UVA, right? Uh, and who's a better cornerback at UVA? Yeah. I don't think there's like all time. Rondé yeah. Barber. Rondé Barber. And that's it, right? That's <laughs> yeah, the list, yeah. right? Rondé is like a Hall of Famer. No, that's what uh, I'm saying. But and the good thing and the good thing is for Bryce like, you know, I I I'm sure I'd be saying this about three or four other guys on the team at least. But if somebody has to go through this, I mean, obviously you feel terrible for him, but I know I'm not worried about him at all, right? Like I he's going to be fine. Like there's no doubt about it. I He's he's just the right kind of guy to deal with that sort of adversity, and it sucks that it happened to him. But I have no doubt that he's going to go on and have a nice NFL career, and then probably be a coach. Yeah, and he's going to have to do rehab. You know, he's probably going to be he's going to be in the film room now, making these young guys watch film with him and teaching them. So yeah, I, mean, I hope this, he can this find really a way hurts to help the 2019 the team. team, but yeah. it really helps the 2020 team. So I mean, you know, next year we're getting a head start in replacing Bryce Hall for 2020. Um, which is terrible. I don't want to have it, but no. if you want to look for a lining, that's it. <laughs> as soon as it happened, Brad was like, "What's the medical redshirt thing again? <laughs> like, how does that work?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't think that's in play." But you know, like it, it is a good question. Um, and, I, and I'm, I mean, I trust that Bryce had insurance is going to pay him a difference if he ends up not being in right. rehab. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Based on the pictures, I think he's probably good to go by that time. But I mean, he is. I mean, we t- we've talked a lot of we've had a lot of negative things on this podcast about offense specifically. He is the kind of guy that personifies the culture that they've built, which is something that is not hard. It's not easy to do. And I don't think that 
you can't shortcut culture. You can't shortcut a lot of things. But um, I think that it's it's indicative of the fact that, hey, you know, last Friday's game was really rough to watch, but they got something good going on, and, and it's just not quite where we want it to be overall. But, yeah, that's fair. I mean, guys like that coming back for their senior year, I think that says a lot about, you know, and, and the kind of people that they're creating. I think that that's a good thing for the program. Yeah, I mean, he's got also shot in up for my like my top five all-time favorite Virginia players. Um, I mean, that was the contrast, right, with the last Miami game because he tracked that kid down, and I mean, I don't yeah. want to say he saved the game, but he basically saved the game, right? Yeah. Um, and and that you forget, like I was thinking about this the other day, that first game that UVA won under Bronco, or I guess it was the second one when they won at Duke, like. They needed a win really bad, and he. Can't, I think he had two picks in that game. Like he was a true freshman starting at corner, and it's like he just he was just tough. Like he made a lot of tough plays. And also too, like he, he. You, you talked about personifying. Like he's a lowly, like a, a lowly rated recruit, right? And they, and it was like lightning in a bottle, right? Like boom, like he he. Yeah, I mean, he started from scene. day one. Yeah, he immediately, immediately <laughs> burst on the scene. That's why I made that comment yesterday during the press conference. Like, it's crazy to think this is the first depth chart in how many years. Like, how durable was that kid, you know? Um, but th- that he comes in and earns that. And it, he was immediately a, a playmaker from the jump. I mean, to, 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 to have it end the way it ends is so, is, it's so sad. But at the same time, like, man, that kid had a heck of a career. And it's hard to – I mean, it, it, it's – it, it's sad, and at the same time, it's like you, you can't help but respect the heck out of him. And the way he, the, the, the stories I've heard about him getting kicked out of the McHugh because he just can't stop watching film, um, it's it, they're legendary. And he will have a much greater impact, um, than just on what he did, you know, between the lines. I mean, what he what he's instilled in these kids that's part of the culture, there's no doubt in my mind. And that defense is much better off, not just for having him in the lineup, but also having him in the building. Um, and I think that's that's going to be you know that's going to be borne out over the next few years. Want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Uh, if you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you can get a program of this variety. Um, we very much appreciate you liking and subscribing. Um, gets us out in front of more people. If you're somebody who found the pod but has not given us a look at the website, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Right now you can uh, read my column from Monday morning on the loss to the Hurricanes um, and the loss of Hall. Um, we've also got notes from Monday's press conference, plus the 3 one uh, from that and the depth chart and everything. Um, you can read Ferber's uh, 5 to Watch on the Blue Devils, um, which is live as well. Um, let's see. I guess this is going to run in the morning. So, you, so later today, we'll have those uh, pro football focus grades up, um, and then you can get ready for uh, this um, coastal clash heading uh, our way on Saturday afternoon. If you haven't already, hit that Fanatics link. Uh, it's in your podcast app of choice or in the content item for the show. Anything that you order, whether it's UVA, whatever, from that, um, if you hit that link to get to the website, um, it, it goes to help support the site. So we very much appreciate that. Lastly, speaking of support, I want to thank Florian Wealth. And Second String Sports for their support. Uh, ThorianWealth.com for more information, full disclosure. SecondStringSports.com, second with a two. And again, I need to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate it. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.